So we're in week four of our series, Why Church? And in the previous three weeks, we've talked about community, we've talked about worship, we've talked about service last week, and today we're talking about a major component uh, of what it means to be part of a church, and that is discipleship. During the ministry years of Christ's life, he invested heavily in 12 individuals, and they became the nucleus of the New Testament church. And through these individuals, God literally changed the world. We're gathered here this morning some 2,000 years later because those 12 were faithful to do what Jesus had taught them to do. So being a disciple of Jesus Christ in the New Testament involves so much more than lectures and classroom instruction. They witnessed firsthand how Jesus lived his life. They saw his compassion to the poor and the things that actually moved him, that, that, uh, uh, where he would have compassion on those who were brokenhearted. They, they marveled at the miracles that they saw Jesus perform for the, for the blind and for the sick and for the lame. Uh, they were watching as he drove the money changers out of the temple. You see, the early disciples had the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and he taught them what was important in life. And he also pointed out that which was worthless. He empowered them to fulfill a mission in life that was far greater than anything that they had ever dreamed possible. He invited them to be part of something really big, the New Testament church. He gave them the power that they would need to advance the kingdom of God and to really launch what we now know as the church age. Shortly before Jesus ascended to heaven, he came to his disciples and he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, looking at them, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we gather this morning in the name of Jesus. And God, we've lifted up the holy name of Christ. We've worshiped you today, God. And now, Father, we quiet our hearts so that we can hear from you. God, these good folks have come to hear from you today, not from me. So God, I pray that as your word is preached, that God, your Holy Spirit would, would just do a mighty work in our hearts, that you'd show us what you'd have us to do, who you'd have us to become, and how you'd have us to live. Guide and direct our thoughts and all that we do. Father, as we read the Great Commission, Father, I pray that we would internalize it, that we would take it to heart, Father, that it would be that which drives us, that motivates us, that moves us. So, Father, we would fulfill the mission that you gave us while we are here on earth. And, Father, when we come to you, that we may hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So, Lord, we just... Dedicate these next few moments unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Christ commissioned his disciples to repeat the process that he had done for them over and over and over again throughout the whole world. We call this passage the Great Commission because it's the clearest explanation of what Christ has called us to do, what Christ wants us to go and do. And yet, sadly, over the years, we fumbled the ball on many occasions. We've lost sight of what it really means to be a disciple. We've invested heavily in the cognitive aspect of discipleship. 
And we've created churches filled with note takers. And there's nothing wrong with taking notes. Most of our church attenders today are well-educated in the tenets of Christianity. We've read The Purpose-Driven Life. We've read Jesus Calling. We've subscribed to Our Daily Bread. We get, we get devotionals texted to us on a daily basis. But the question is, are we doing what Christ has called us to do? Are we making an impact in the world? Or have we forgotten the action component of being a disciple? Where we actually put into practice the things that we've learned, the behaviors that we've seen, that we saw in the disciples. Are we tapping into the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit to advance the commission and to make an impact for Christ in the world? I've spent the majority of my adult life, 30 years now, serving the church. In 2013, uh, the Lord opened up an, an opportunity for me to consult with other churches uh, about church health and church growth. And uh, uh, I've consulted with two churches this year. I don't do it as much today as, as it's become very, very busy here at Venture. But here's what I see as I visit churches around the country. Churches tend to be focused on activity instead of results. Leaves instead of the fruit. Look big, green, and bushy, but if you look for fruit on those trees, you don't find any. So many times today, churches focus on the internal operations and the services of the church instead of the external needs of the community that they're called to reach and to serve. In other words, many churches have become internally focused instead of externally focused and looking at what we need, what we want, and how we like things, instead of how can we go out into the community and make a difference for Christ. It's as if there's a greater interest in creating a numerous, long catalog of ministries that we can say, look all, at all that our church does. But the real question is, what are the results and where's the fruit? Where are the transformed lives? How is success being measured? Where's the growth? And often that leads to the question, does God even care about results? Or are instead we just called to be faithful? There is a debate among some in the clergy world about whether God has called us to be faithful or fruitful. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. And I believe that God is the one who makes things grow. Without him, we can do nothing. That's what the Bible says. But that doesn't mean that we're to do nothing. It just means that we can do nothing without God. But not the fact that we're not to do anything. Paul planted, Apollos watered, everybody did their part, everybody had a job to do. And with God's blessing and help, the church grew and the harvest was achieved. So we're all called to do our part. And when we do our part, I believe God does his part. You see, I believe that God calls us to both faithfulness and fruitfulness. <clears throat> so let me ask you, does God care about results? In the Bible, you don't see these words. You don't see the word results, productivity, outcomes, proceeds, returns. There's never any mention of ROI or PE ratios or EPS. None, none, none of the things that 
become so big in our world today, but you do find words like fruitful and stewardship and sowing and reaping and hard work and harvest. You're going to find those throughout the Bible. The most famous passage uh, that talks about this is in John chapter 15. Jesus is speaking, and in, in verse 1 he says, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Say this with me. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. So here Jesus is giving a visual aid that his listeners would surely understand. Uh, he's giving them a metaphor saying that he, Jesus, is the vine and they would understand what that means. And God the Father is the gardener and the people, the listeners are the branches. And the branches that don't bear fruit, if they're not connected to the vine, he says... And the branches that don't bear fruit, they wither, they die, and they get burned up in the fire at the end. But the branches that are connected to the vine, well, they bear fruit and they bring glory to God. So again, we see here, what did Jesus call the fruit-bearing branches? He called them disciples, right? He called them disciples. Let's pick up in verse 9 as he continues. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. So now let me ask the question. Does God expect us to bear fruit? I believe he does. Imagine with me, if you will, a farmer who goes to the most advanced school of farming and earns a PhD in agriculture, but never once plants a seed. Is he a farmer or not? You see, being a disciple, I believe, involves a lot more than head knowledge. Because head knowledge is worthless if it doesn't lead to action. You see, discipleship is more than learning. It involves putting what we've learned into action. And the mistake I think we've seen in the last hundreds of years in church throughout the country and around the world is we have, we have become students that have forgotten to put into practice what we've learned. 
Discipleship should lead to fruitfulness. It should lead us to make an impact in the world. It's about advancing the gospel. It's about changing lives and changing culture. I believe the church should influence the culture in which we live. We should be making a difference. We're called to be light in the midst of darkness. That influences culture, right? We're called to be that city that sits on a hill. We're to be salt. When Jesus was calling his first disciples, he was calling them out of their normal routine into a life of adventure and intrigue. Now, I don't know that they understood that at the moment. He didn't tell them exactly what to expect. He wanted them to just walk by faith and to trust him. So let's look at it. In Matthew chapter 4, I'll read this to you. Verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. So given all this, I want to give you three points here this morning. What do we know about true disciples of Jesus? Number one, disciples live for a higher purpose than themselves. In the text we just read, Jesus is walking along the banks of the Sea of Galilee. He's taking in the sights and the sounds and the smells of the busy area. He saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they're standing there fishing. They're casting their nets. It was probably a, a circle net or a pear-shaped net that they would throw out into the water. It would be weighted and it would fall down and, and it would trap the fish and they would pull it in and, and that's how they would fish. Jesus watches them for a while as they're fishing and then he says, he says come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. You see, what Jesus did is he invited them to a higher purpose. He said, you're fishing for fish now, but how would you like to do something bigger? Instead of catching fish, how would you like to catch people? You see, people are far more valuable than fish. And you see, that, my friends, is the call to discipleship. It's to shift our focus to a much higher level. We don't focus on the immediate. We focus on the infinite, not on the temporal, but on the eternal. And so the call to discipleship is more than a call to learn. It's also a call to work. The 12 apostles called by Jesus did not simply form a study group. They launched a movement. I'm going to be talking about that in the last sermon in this series, Why Church? launching a movement. You see, I believe the call to being a disciple of Christ is a call to be an influence. Influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character and the development and the behavior of someone else. And I believe that we all influence people every day for good or for bad. And I think that we're called to be a good steward of the influence that we have. Some of you have tremendous influence. Some of you have a tremendous sphere of of influence. You influence a lot of people through your vocation or through the leadership skills that you have. Some of you are five talent sons and daughters of God. Some get one talent, some get two, some get five. Why? I don't know. Some do, some don't. It doesn't make any sense to me, but many people in Southwest Florida are five talent sons and daughters of God. You've got tremendous influence. Here's my question. How are you using the influence that Christ has entrusted to you? Are you using it to advance his agenda, his mission? You see, I believe that a call to discipleship 
is when we realize that the, the influence that we given is to be used for a greater purpose than our own advancement and our own personal benefit. You see, we're called to make an impact in this world. We're called to live for a purpose higher than ourselves. Like Peter and Andrew in this passage we just read, there comes a point where Jesus may ask you to drop your nets and to come do something bigger. The word surrender is, is a battle term. It implies giving up the rights to conquer. And when an opposing army surrenders, they lay down their arms, they lay down uh, everything they have with them, and then the winner takes control from then on. And surrendering to God works the same way. You see, God, I believe, has a plan for our lives, and he calls us to surrender ourselves to him, to set aside our own plans, to set aside our own agendas, and to eagerly seek him. And, and quite frankly, that's really good news because God always has our best interest in mind. Amen? God always has your best interest in mind. No matter what he calls you to do, it's the best thing for you. Amen? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. When we surrender to Christ, essentially we're laying down our dreams, our hopes, our ambitions in exchange for God's plans for our lives. It's an exercise of faith. Do I trust God enough to submit my future to him and whatever he wants for my life? You see, surrendering to God is completely trusting him, putting it all in his hands. This summer we studied through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of my favorite passages. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. When you surrender to Christ, you come to that place where you recognize that God knows what's best for you. Now, it may not always make sense to you, and you may not be able to see it from your perspective. That's why he says, lean not on your own understanding. It's easy for us to get confused and see that, oh, well, this isn't working out the way I thought it would. Well, often it doesn't. Rarely does it work out the way you think it will. That's why we just surrender ourselves and have faith in God. You see, when we surrender our lives to God, we're offering ourselves back to him. We're saying, God, I'm not much, but what I am, I'm yours. Here I am, Lord. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Romans 6.13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Let me pause. There. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've done that? You ever offered yourself to God? You ever in prayer just said, God, here I am. I'm yours. Do what you want. Lead me where you want me to go. Do with me whatever you want me to do, God. I'm yours. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Surrendering your life to Christ is the most exciting thing that you can do. But I'm not going to lie to you this morning. It can come with pain and it can come with sacrifice. Every one of the disciples and the apostles, even though they got to experience life with Christ and follow him, but doesn't mean that they had a pain-free life. They didn't. But I can assure you they rewarded in heaven for what they've done. 
Mark 8.34 says that he called the crowd to him with his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. To deny yourself is to turn away from idolatry and self-centeredness. To deny yourself is to say, I'm going to do what God wants, not what my flesh wants. To take up one's cross is to willingly be willing to experience shame and humiliation and pain that comes with following Christ. You see, when we are willing to surrender our lives to Christ, we're willingly exchanging all of the good things that the world has to offer in exchange for what God offers us instead. Continuing in Mark 8, Jesus said, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his Father's glory with the holy angels. To lose your life is the same as to surrender yourself to God. It's to be fully and completely devoted to God. So, what do we know about true disciples of Christ? Number one, disciples live for a higher purpose than themselves. But not only that, number two, disciples use their gifts and abilities for God. Matthew 4.19, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Some translations say, and I will make you fishers of men. The point is, Jesus had a more significant work for Peter and Andrew than fishing. Or let me put it in a different, different way. Than their business, because that was their business. I have something more significant for you than just your business. And God used them in a powerful way to advance his kingdom, and we're here today because of that. The reason so many people sit idle in church today is because they don't want to invest the time, the energy, and the effort in the prayer into discovering their ministry. It takes work, and it's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility or any staff member's responsibility to figure out what you're supposed to do for God. It's hard enough for me to figure out what I'm supposed to do, amen? Let alone me figure out what 300 other people are supposed to do. You're not sure what to do? Read The Purpose Driven Life. Great book. Talks a lot about that. It's a great starting point for you discovering your shape in ministry. If you've given your life to Christ then the next step is to find out where you fit in and where you can serve him. I talked about that in one other sermon, ser sermon in this series. You know, find a way that you can serve. Make it a priority in your life. Discover the gifts that God has given you. There are certain things that you're skilled at that God wants to use. So spend some time prayerfully thinking and considering those things. Dave Ramsey asks some questions. He gets asked this quite a bit in his radio program uh, about how do you know what you're supposed to do. And he asks some questions that, that I think are good questions. He says, what's a task or role that comes easily to you? You know, maybe, maybe God wants you to use that which he, he created you and shaped you for. So what comes easily to you? What are you good at? 
What's something that you excelled at in school, if you can remember back when you went to school? What is something that you don't have to work at to be good because you're just good at it? And you're not being prideful. It just comes natural to you. You can just do it. What do other people compliment you about? What do coworkers say? You do a really good job at that. What do you bring to the team? What are your biggest strengths? You see, look at those things and discover that that's probably what God wants to use you to do in his kingdom. So make sure that you spend time considering those things. You see, a disciple lives for a higher purpose than themselves. A disciple is willing to use their gifts and abilities once they've discovered them for God's glory. And number three, disciples glorify God in all they do. See, my friends, bringing glory to God really is the chief end of man. It's what we're called to do. It's the purpose of our lives. We are to live our lives to please him. And that involves finding that higher purpose. It involves putting our skills and our gifts and our abilities to use for his glory. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Everything we're to do is to be for the glory of God, it's for his praise, it's to fulfill his purpose. The Apostle Paul had much to say about this, and he really embodied what it meant. But he summed it up so well in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He said, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You see, because when we're glorifying God, we're reflecting on how awesome and amazing he is through our own actions and behaviors and attitudes. So to glorify God means we bring honor we bring honor to him through what we say, how we act, and what we do. It means that we value our relationship with God above all things. It means that we are passionate about what God is passionate about. You see, when Jesus invested in his disciples. His passion became their passion. What he did, they do. What he loved, they now love because they caught it from him. They picked it up from him. When he prayed, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Not necessarily teach us how to pray, but teach us to pray. We want to connect with the Father the way you connect with the Father. Show us. We want to do that. And so they learned to glorify God the way Jesus glorified God. And they got to know him. They lived in a way that pleased God. Doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. Of course they did. We all do. But in their heart, they wanted to serve God and please him. John 15, 8, this is... This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. People should be able to see it. People should be able to tell you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You live a different life. You act differently. 
So today we're in week four of our series, Why Church? And we've been discovering as we study the New Testament about the purpose and the value of being a part of a local church. We've talked about the importance of community and how we are to grow together and we're to be in this together in our daily lives because we need each other. Week two, we talked about worship and how at least this one hour a week, just this one hour a week is a time when we get together as the body of Christ, as the family of Christ, for an undivided hour of worship and praise to God. Last week, we talked about service and how that as part of Christ's church, we're called to serve others with humility, both in the church and outside the church. And today, we talked about in a very basic way, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be his follower, to be his student. See, if a church is not producing disciples, we've missed the heart of the Great Commission. How do we do that at Venture Church? Well, we do speak to the cognitive aspect of discipleship. We certainly teach the Word of God every Sunday morning. You folks don't come to hear from me. You, hear, you come to hear from the Word of God. That's why I teach the Word of God. That's why we have a, a group going on in the cafeteria right now, Pastor Roger teaching, so that you can grow a little deeper that way. We have connect groups that meet uh, most days of the week throughout the community so that you can learn together and, and have discussion amongst groups. We provide numerous avenues for service where you can use what you've learned and work it out through your hands as you love the community and love each other within the church. But at the end of the day, it's, it's something that you have to own. Your relationship with God is something that you must own. It's your choice of whether you're going to be a disciple, a follower, a learner of God. It's an intentional choice that you make. And I believe it's more than a cognitive discipline. It's a call to bear fruit. It's a call to get active. It's a call to actually do something, to live your life for the glory of God, to apply and do what Jesus said to do. I wrap up today with this challenge. Has there ever been a time in your life when you surrendered your life to Christ. Lock, stock, and barrel, you just said, Lord, here I am. I was 13 years old. It was July 1983. I was at a Christian camp in Canton, Ohio. Ohio Baptist Acres was the name of the camp. I had only just started attending church, but that was because I was drugged there, not because I wanted to go there. Preacher spoke, his name was Steve Bush. He doesn't know me from Adam, probably has no, no idea that he, I ever did anything. He preached, and that night, the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of me, and I went forward in an invitation. And I did, I'd never seen one of those things, didn't know what it was. But I went forward, but so many kids went forward that night that they didn't have enough counselors to deal with everybody, so they just said, go out and find a quiet place and talk to God. So I went out and I sat down at a tree and I leaned up against this tree and it was kind of awkward and it was dark outside. 
kids had gone all over the camp, and I just found this place, and I just said, okay, Lord, um, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I want to go to heaven when I die. I believe in Jesus, and whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. And that night, my life changed. My purpose changed. My ambition changed. I became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's been 40 years ago. And I am thrilled that God would choose to use me in any way, shape, or form. I can't imagine doing life any other way, living for any other purpose than to bring glory to God and to do what he called us to do. If there's never been a time in your life where you've done that, well, I'm not going to have an invitation for you to come down here today. But I will say this, go find a tree somewhere today. Lean yourself against it and offer yourself to God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and just say, God, here I am. Here I am. Use me for your glory. Whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. You just may find God will change your life, change the course of your life, and put you on a new path. You never know, he might call you into ministry. He might call you to missions. Pastor Fernando right now is in Africa. You, know, you just never know what God is going to do in your life.